Welcome. I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of Matthew. Today is episode 851, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. Let's read our passage. When daybreak came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. After tying him up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. What's that to us, they said. See to it yourself. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed. Then he went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver and said, It's not permitted to put this into the temple treasury since it's blood money. They conferred together and bought the potter's field with it as a burial place for foreigners. Therefore, that field has been called Field of Blood to this day. Then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. They took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him whose price was set by the Israelites, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. This is the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew's writing this Gospel, this account of the ministry of Jesus, to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah. We're toward the end of Matthew's Gospel. Now we're in the final day of Jesus' life. He had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples after the Last Supper, and there Judas showed up with this mob sent from the chief priests and elders. They arrested Jesus, and they took him to the high priest. There we saw the failure of Peter, as Peter was outside the home of the high priest and was challenged about being one of Jesus' followers, and three times he denied knowing Jesus. Then the rooster crowed, indicating the approaching dawn, and Jesus' prediction was fulfilled that Peter would deny him three times before dawn. The high priest had gathered the council, the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, to interrogate Jesus. And there the high priest put Jesus under oath. And we read back in the, still in chapter 26, but verses 63 and 64, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said it, Jesus told him. But I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. They said, this is blasphemy. We don't need to hear any more witnesses. We witnessed it ourselves. This man deserves death. So now we pick it up in chapter 27, verse 1. When daybreak came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. I said, well, that's what they've been doing. Yeah, they've been plotting how to go about arresting Jesus and tripping him up. Now they've got to figure out how to get him killed. They've already decided, officially, is the Sanhedrin, is the ruling council, that Jesus deserves death. But the Roman government will not permit them to execute people. So now they've got to come up with what's next. 
And so phase one of their plan is being completed. That is, they themselves have determined officially he deserves death. Now phase two is they've got to find an appropriate charge to take to Pilate, the Roman governor. Because only the Romans can actually execute somebody. And if they go to Pilate, the Roman governor, and say, this guy committed blasphemy right in front of us, Pilate's not going to be impressed. Pilate doesn't have an incredible amount of sympathy for the Jewish people. In fact, he's a fairly cruel Roman governor. His idea of how to keep the peace is keep people in fear. And so they need to come up with a way to paint Jesus as a threat to the Roman government a threat to Roman occupation, that's going to prompt Pilate, then they can apply some pressure from their own political and populist influence that they have, but they've got to get Jesus to look as a threat to the Roman government. So they're plotting how to put Jesus to death. Now, some people say, okay, this is the second trial before the Jewish leaders I think it fits well to think of this as just the continuing event. It started when the mob that arrested Jesus brought Jesus to the high priest. Now we know from John that initially he was taken to Annas, the former high priest, father-in-law to Caiaphas, the current high priest. Then he was taken to Caiaphas, the current high priest. Then the whole council was hearing him. I think this is an ongoing continuous event. It's not that they broke and have reconvened now in the morning. It's now daybreak and there more of them are still arriving and it's a continuing process. Verse 2, after tying him up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate the governor. Now we really think back to chapter 20 when Jesus was predicting his death in verses 18 and 19, he said, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised. So this phrase, handed over to the Gentiles, that's what we see here, is they're handing him over to Pilate. Verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So we got Jesus being taken to Pilate, the governor. But before Matthew continues the narrative with Pilate, he's inserted this little segment about Judas here. It doesn't seem to fit here chronologically. But remember, Matthew isn't always tied up with things chronological. I think Matthew doesn't want to interrupt the narrative of what happens with Jesus and Pilate leading up to the crucifixion. And so he's inserted this little segment about Judas right here. Obviously, the chief priest can't be there dealing with Judas and buying this piece of property if they're standing in front of Pilate with Jesus. And has Jesus really been fully condemned yet. Some say, well, no, the fact that he was condemned by the Sanhedrin is enough for Judas. I think the whole thing is, don't try to fit this chronologically here. Matthew's just telling this as an aside, and this is what happened with Judas, so that he doesn't interrupt the narrative now with Jesus and Pilate. 
So Judas sees that Jesus has been condemned and was full of remorse. Now, I think one of the reasons this is right here is to compare the failure of Peter and the failure of Judas. We saw Peter fail by denying Jesus the three times. Then he went outside and wept bitterly. Here, Judas is full of remorse. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? They both acted badly, and they both are sorrowful. I think this comes down to the difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse means I feel bad about what I did. I'm sorry I did it. Repentance is I realize I have sinned against God and I want to be made right with God. Now, it almost says that here in verse 4. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. So he tells the chief priest that he has sinned, so he's done wrong, but True repentance, we recognize that I didn't just do wrong. I did wrong to God. God is the offended party here, and things need to be made right with God. So just remember, it's just remorse is not the same as repentance. The core issue of repentance is realizing you have offended God and have a desire to make it right with God. We don't see that here in Judas. And of course, we don't have a lot of details, but we do know there's a difference between what happens with Judas and what happens with Peter. We will see restoration with Peter. I believe it's because there's repentance. We will not see restoration with Judas. That's because I don't see repentance, just remorse. So verse 4, he says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. What's that to us, they said? See to it yourself. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed. Then he went and hanged himself. So they basically said, we don't care. We got what we wanted. We wanted Jesus. You delivered Jesus. And if you got a problem with that, we don't care. But Judas is remorseful. So he throws the silver into the temple and goes and hangs himself. Verse 6, the chief priest took the silver and said, it's not permitted to put it into the temple treasury since it's blood money. They conferred together and bought the potter's field with it as a burial place for foreigners. Therefore, that field has been called field of blood to this day. So the potter's field, there's a couple ways to take that. One, it's a field owned by a potter, a man who makes things out of clay. And they bought the field from the potter. Could be it's a field that had clay in it, and the the various potters went there to get clay for their work, and that's why it was called the potter's field. Regardless, it was called the potter's field, and the chief priest bought it because it was permissible to use the money for that. They couldn't put it in the temple treasury, but they could use it to do something good. And some bring out the irony here that they're so careful to follow the rules here about this money and what be is proper to be done with it when they've been flaunting the rules right and left in their dealing with Jesus. Verse 9, then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him whose price was set by the Israelites, and they gave them the potter's field as the Lord directed me. 
That's a little confusing here. What exactly is Matthew quoting? He mentions Jeremiah. Now, in Jeremiah 19, Jeremiah goes and buys a jar from a potter, takes a group of priests and elders to the Valley of Ben-Hinnon, which is probably where the potter's field is that the chief priests and elders buy with the money from Judas. Jeremiah goes there and breaks the jar there in the Valley of Ben-Hinnon and says, basically, this is what God is going to do with you because of your sin and predicts the coming destruction of Jerusalem. So you have that imagery. It's the, the right valley. It deals with a potter and a, the chief priest. But there's also, a, we read this earlier, the passage from Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, Then I said to them, If it seems right to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. So they weighed my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Throw it to the potter, the Lord said to me. This magnificent price, I was valued by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord to the potter. So and there we see the 30 pieces of silver thrown into the house of the Lord, specifically to the potter. And so those passages together seem to be about Matthew's drawing upon this prediction of judgment on Jerusalem the 30 pieces of silver, the price set by the Israelites, the potter's field, all, all that together seems to be what Matthew's drawing upon. So at the point now where Jesus is standing in front of Pilate, he's been delivered there by the chief priests and the elders. They've decided he needs to die. They've got to convince Pilate that he needs to die and have Pilate be the one to execute. Jesus. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through Matthew.